If you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold. Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. Morning, everyone. Welcome to our in-person as well as our on-demand worship service. So over the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at the book of 1 Peter, and what we've discovered is that Peter was writing to oppressed, abused, persecuted followers of Jesus living under the tyranny of the Roman emperor Nero. These people faced unimaginable circumstances, and in the midst of their trials and their sufferings, Peter reminded them that they were different, that this place was not their home. And when we face trials and setbacks and heartaches, we would do well to remember that this place is not our home either. A few weeks back, we said that trials can actually be a good thing. They reveal the genuineness of our faith, and they can draw us closer to our Heavenly Father. In the midst of our trials, our setbacks, our heartaches, it can be really easy to believe that God has abandoned us when in reality, He's shaping us, molding us into more faithful followers of Jesus. Last week, we were reminded how important it is as followers of Jesus to be holy because God is holy. We said that our path to Jesus is not holiness, but rather Jesus is our path to holiness. As we seek to imitate Him, we're going to look different. But that's precisely what holiness is. To be holy means to be set apart, to be dedicated, to be different. As we continue in the book of 1 Peter, let me just ask you a question. Has anyone here in the room or watching at home, anyone here ever felt um, a little bit uh, anxious about being called on in public, maybe like at, at school or something like that? Most of us would probably like fall into that category, though, you know, every class has had, you know, one or two of those little darlings, at any time the teacher would ask the question, their arms would instantly go up and they were excited to answer the question. But again, most of us probably, probably fall into that other category where uh, when the teacher asks a question, we'll slump in our seats, we'll refuse to make eye contact, maybe even visit the Lord in silent prayer. Heavenly Father, please don't let her look at me, don't let her look at me, don't let her look at me, make me into a bird so I can fly far, far away from here. Right? Most of us just never really felt ready enough, prepared enough, confident enough to answer a question when you know, the teacher called on us. What's crazy, though, is one of the words or phrases that we're going to see pop up over and over in the book of 1 Peter is the word called. Seven times in five chapters, Peter reminds his first readers, as well as those of us who are trying to follow Jesus faithfully today, that we have been called by God. And being called by God shouldn't make us fearful, it should make us fear less. Throughout the scriptures, you'll find different types or variations of callings. For example, in Mark chapter 1, verses 17 and 20, we're told that Jesus called out 
to his first disciples. He beckoned them to stop what they were doing and come and follow him. Following Jesus is a call extended to literally everyone. In the scripture, we also find a temporary call to, uh, you know, it's placed upon people for a specific assignment. So, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, we see that some are called to be apostles, some are called to be prophets, some to be teachers, some to be miracle workers, some to be healers, some to be leaders. You may have been called to be a teacher or a nurse or a stay-at-home mom. Preachers feel called to ministry, and in some cases they feel uh, you know, called to different ministries in different seasons. God called Webby here some 27 years ago. You know, and he's talked about that on, on many occasions where you know, he, he would not have just picked you know, to up and move to Indiana. You know, he's a Georgia boy, you know, the South. You know, he's got that Southern charm and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But he felt called by God to ministry here, to a specific assignment. And so he packed up, moved his family north. There's still another kind of call, though, that's found in the Scriptures, and that's the call to a different type of mindset for approaching life. You see, we can get really hyper-focused on that second kind of call, you know, the, the call to what do I feel called to do. And too often we overlook the who that we've been called to be. For the follower of Jesus, for those of us who are seeking who've decided to be different, we must remember the call to who precedes the call to do. When you know who you are, you'll have an extra measure of confidence about what you are to do. You can't miss this. There is a war taking place right now, and the battlefield is our mind, and the prize is our identity. Our enemy would love nothing more than to convince us that we are nothing. In fact, he's been quite successful at convincing many that they are nothing, that they uh, will never amount to something, and they should forget about ever doing anything. Many have been convinced that their identity is found in their sexuality or in their spouse, in their kids, in their job, or in the number of likes that their social media posts can accumulate. And none of this is true. And before we can confidently and effectively do, we must remember our call to who. The first century Christians that Peter wrote to were hated and mistreated. The pagans who lived around them had all kinds of misconceptions about who these Jesus followers actually were. They believed the early Christians were, among other things, atheistic incestuous cannibals. All right, atheistic because they didn't have physical gods or idols to pray to. Incestuous because these uh, husbands and wives, you know, Christians would often refer to one another also as brothers and sisters in Christ. And cannibals because these followers of Jesus would have these mysterious meetings where they would eat his flesh and drink his blood. So needless to say, there were a lot of miscommunications and misunderstandings about what Jesus' early followers believed and taught in much the same way that there 
uh, our misunderstandings and misrepresentations of what we believe and what we teach. Those early followers of Jesus were hated by their culture. But before telling them what they were called to do for Jesus, Peter first reminded them who they were called to be in Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Don't overlook how meaningful Peter's words would be to those first century people. We live in a culture that's on affirmation overload. Everyone gets trophies. Everyone passes the third grade. Correction is a dirty word. Everyone's encouraged to explore their feelings because everybody's opinion carries the same amount of weight. This was not the society to which Peter first wrote. His first audience was considered scum. They were viewed as weird and dirty halfwits at best and subversive anarchist rebels seeking to overthrow their government at worst. Yet Peter reminds them that God sees things radically different. To him, they are chosen, they are royal, they are priests, they are holy, and they are special because they were called out of darkness by the God of the universe. He goes on, verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter reminds these followers of Jesus that regardless of whether your neighbor happens to like you or not, forget about the accusation that the culture heaps upon you or hurls upon you. The God of the universe says, you are mine and I proved it by the mercy I extended to you, lavished on you at the cross. This is the mindset that the followers of Jesus take with them into their daily lives, into the mission field. They've been called by Jesus. We shouldn't just sprint off day after day into our teaching, into our nursing, into whatever calling that's been placed on our lives without first resting and rejoicing in the fact that we are God's, that we've been chosen by Him, that we are dearly loved by Him. It's from here, understanding who we are, that we are able to faithfully accomplish the calling that we've been given. Remember, the call to who precedes the call to do. Verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, remember, you are different. This place is not your home. Your home is someplace else. Right? You're just passing through here temporarily as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. What is the call that's been placed on our lives as followers of Jesus? We are called to live differently. We don't fall back into our old habits or stumble into the well-laid plans of the enemy. In the middle of the war going on around us, we must have a different mindset than everyone else. We must strive to live holy, devoted to God, so that those who despise us, malign us, maybe even hate us, might one day be persuaded by us, and specifically 
persuaded by the way that we live. I love the way the New Living Translation puts verse 21. It says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in His steps. Now, I, I need to point out something that's probably probably should be obvious to, to all of us. Following in Jesus' steps means going on a journey, specifically going on a journey with people. We aren't going to convince most people to believe like we believe. We are going to have to show them what we believe by how we behave. This is a really, really hard approach for me uh, to embrace sometimes, but it doesn't make it any less true. I I fail at this all the time. I I just like to present people the facts. I like to to point out where they're wrong and and show them what's true and then kind of walk away. But if I'm being totally honest, that's rarely ever worked effectively. Okay. On the other hand, showing people what we believe by how we behave is far more persuasive. But it takes a ton of time. Right, last month, Amanda and I um, were, were hanging out the, uh, at the house of a friend, and almost everyone at this particular get-together knew that I was a preacher of, you know, or worked at a church or whatever. And um, they kept routinely like, apologizing to me for you know, saying cuss words or allowing the conversation to you know, kind of turn you know, into more of a salty direction. And every time they'd apologize, I would kind of chuckle and say, you know, like, you don't need to apologize. Okay? If you knew the kind of people I worked with, you, you know, golly. <laughs> but no, seriously. Um, I, I told them that I wasn't offended. They didn't, didn't need to worry about offending me. Um, but on, on a side note, like just between you know, me and you, like, it would be ridiculous for me to hold these non-Christians to the standard of Christian behavior, right? And, and Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where he writes, It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those in the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside. So anyhow, saying to these folks that, you know, you don't have to worry about offending me was apparently an open door. You see, um, a couple of the the gentlemen that were there uh, were, are uh, homosexuals. And one of the gentlemen asked me, so um, Frank, would I be, would I be welcome at your church. Now, I promise you, like, had you been sitting there, you would have instantly been able to sense the tension begin to rise, right? What had been a lovely, you know, afternoon by the pool, catching sun, you know, had instantly turned serious. And, you know, again, had you been sitting there, you would have noticed, you know, people starting to shift in their seats, maybe take really important um, imaginary phone calls or start scoping out opportunities to make a quick uh, exit. The gentleman said, you know, you, you don't have to worry about offending me. I'm really just, just curious to see what you believe. Now, I appreciated him saying that, all right, because we live in a culture that longs to be offended. It equates disagreeing with someone with hating them, right? The traditional understanding of the, the virtue of tolerance has been hijacked and exchanged for blind approval of people's behavior and lifestyle. So like I said, I really appreciated uh, this gentleman saying, you know, hey, you don't have to worry about offending me. So I said, Dave, we'll call him Dave. His name's not really Dave. Um, Dave, I would love for you to come to our church. 
And I meant that sincerely. I would love for these men to be able to show up, to experience the love of our church family and hear about how Jesus has been passionately pursuing them since before they were ever born. I went on to explain that uh, our church, we stand on the Scriptures as the authority for what we teach and for how we live. And there's not a single person who gathers with us for worship at Lincoln Hills regularly who isn't wrestling with something. You, Dave, would be absolutely welcome to attend our church. And he looked at me dead in the eye and he said, that's awesome, that's the kind of church I could see myself coming to. Now as a disciple of Jesus, we know that attending a church isn't the same as actually following Jesus. Following Jesus is hard, and we know that from His Word. Following Jesus requires action. It requires us to wrestle with our sin, to set that sin aside and faithfully walk with Him. That's true for each and every one of us. We stop pursuing sin because of who we are in Jesus because we were called by Jesus and shown the mercy of God. I believe Jesus wants to have a relationship with broken people. And rather than try to convince Dave to believe the way that I believe, I chose to show him what I believe by how I behave. I chose not to be offended by the language of the people around us. And that opened a door for Dave to ask me, a question that I think God maybe put on his heart. Then I chose not to treat Dave like a quick-fix, plug-and-play church project, but like a person that Jesus genuinely, dearly loves. Will Dave ever visit? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. But I think it's far more likely that he will visit because of the way I chose to behave that day. If he does decide to visit our church, I know that he'll hear the gospel. That our identity is rooted in what Jesus calls us, not what the world says about us. That we'll find wholeness when we walk away from our sin and pursue Jesus. I, I know if Dave decides to visit us, he'll be challenged to respond to the gospel by abandoning anything that might keep him from following Jesus completely. Remember, the call to who always precedes the call to do. When we know who we are, we'll have the confidence about what we are to do. Being called by the God of the universe should not make us fearful. It should make us fearless. And no matter who you think you are or what you've been told you are, Jesus will welcome anyone who wants to follow Him. He is challenging and if you're holding on to something that's keeping you from Him, this morning I would just lovingly tell you to drop it, to lay it down, to set it aside. Whatever that thing is that's competing to claim your identity doesn't compare to what you are called in Christ. Chosen, royal, holy, and special. If you've never decided to follow Jesus, the Scripture tells us that your first step is repenting of your sins and being baptized into Christ. If you've never done that, or you just want to know more about what it looks like to follow Jesus faithfully, I want you to know that we're here for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, help us to remember that we belong to you, that our identity is rooted in you, 
Help us to live out of that identity. Whether we're called to be nurses or teachers or stay-at-home moms or whatever the case might be, Father, help us to first recognize that we are yours and we've been placed in these unique places for your glory to advance your kingdom and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We love you and we thank you for calling us your children. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.